Last week, uh, we we went through point eight. Uh, we spent time going through point eight, and that is the of repentance and faith, which is basically the the proper response to the gospel. Um, and our response to the gospel is one of repent, repentance. And so, what is what is repentance? Wow, that was awesome. What is it? The turning around. The go back to what? Yeah, when you when you turn away from something, or you have to turn to something. Yes. So you're turning from sin to then to. That's right. Very good. Um, so here it is, repentance. Hello, Miss Savannah. Uh, being our our call in our salvation, there's always the response of that of repentance of turning from sin into. And into Christ, and therefore we are having faith in Him. And I love what our point says here: turning with, turning to God with unfeigned contrition, confession, supplication for mercy, and at the same time heartily receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as our Prophet, Priest, and King, and relying on Him alone as the only and all-sufficient Savior. Love what that says there as our, our, our only and all-sufficient Savior, the faith in Him. Faith, so so what is faith, right? When we talk about repentance, what's faith? Right belief. Right, right belief. What else? Okay, so looking at Hebrews 11, 1 there. Faith is the hope and the things unseen. Right? So... Faith is hoping in what? Christ. In Christ, right? As our as our all sufficient Savior. Very good. As our Redeemer, right? All right. So that all the things that not only what He has done is true and right, but it is sufficient and for our own salvation and uh, um, and uh, uh, sanctification. Very good. So there's there's point eight. So let's look tonight at uh, at point nine. This is a big one. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time in 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 this one. Would someone read that out nice and loud for us, please? We believe that election is the eternal purpose of God, according to which He graciously regenerates, sanctifies, and saves sinners. That being perfectly consistent with the free agency of man. It comprehends all the means and connections with the end. That it is a most glorious display of God's sovereign goodness, being infinitely free, wise, holy, and unchangeable. That it utterly excludes boasting and promotes humility, love, prayer, praise, trust in God, and active imitation of His free mercy. That it encourages the use of of means in the highest degree that it may be ascertained by its effects in all who truly believe the gospel that it is the foundation of Christian assurance and that to ascertain it with regard to ourselves demands and deserves the utmost diligence very good thank you so this point point nine of God's purposes of grace how would you sum that up what are we talking about in this in this statement Sum that up. 
Okay, so one word. Salvation. Election. Election? All right, very good. That's it. We believe that election. That's exactly what you, you said, Mary. Uh, election, right? So once again, we're talking about election. You mean like in November? Yes, yes, November 9th. Go vote. No, not at all. We are talking about something completely different. So we believe, right? Let's look at let's look at point one. We believe that election is the eternal purpose of God. So when we say eternal, what does that mean? Forever and ever and ever, right? Everything that was, that is, and that is to come. Eternal. So God's eternal purposes in this world is to do what? Bring about to bring about come on. Nice and loud. I'd be if you're gonna say it and say it loud. Election, right? For his sovereign purposes to bring about salvation. To bring about salvation, right? To the purposes of God, according to which he graciously Right, so we're we're back to grace. Right, these are two things that are inseparable: election and grace are inseparable, which He graciously does according to His eternal purposes. That He regenerates, which we talked back in point seven of regeneration. He sanctifies. Well, before before we go to sanctifies, what does regeneration mean? It's point seven. You can look back and tell me, but but what is regeneration? Brings about new life, right? Taking what was old and bringing about new life. We talked a lot in John chapter 3 when we went through uh, of, of regeneration. And it also brings about sanctification. It's, he, it sanctifies. That's point 10. We haven't gotten there yet, but what does sanctifies mean? Becoming more like Christ. The becoming more like Christ. So if we're becoming more like Christ, then we are doing, also doing what? Looking forward to sharing these verses with y'all then. We are becoming holy. Sanctifies. Sanctuary. Right? Sanctity. Separate. Holy. Right? So when we become more like Christ, we're becoming holy. We're being sanctified. We're set apart. And it saves. We can go back to point five in justification. It saves sinners. And sinners is a very important word there. Right? Because it, it puts that, that election, which is done by grace, to bring about regeneration and sanctification. It's there to save sinners because sinners are undeserved. You know, Ben, I was, as I was preparing for last week, and as I was looking at that first Peter passage in the course in the Old Testament, where God calls us to be holy because he is holy. As a sinner, even with a new life, uh, you know, regenerated part of life. Um, man, it uh, brings you to your knees. It's a humbling uh, thing to, to really, you know, think God calls me to be holy. And I look at all my shortcomings and my sins, even though, you know, Christ uh, 
sacrifice. You know, he, he covered those, but but nonetheless, it's it's just it's un, you know you just can't comprehend it. It's, but he calls me to be holy. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Continued work. Well, I'm looking forward to going through these passages because there's quite a bit, and I think they'll be very encouraging uh, to us. Let's go to Second uh, Timothy one. Carson, why don't you read that for us? Um, Kenny, would you do Ephesians one three through fourteen? Ben, would you look up John fifteen sixteen? Fifteen sixteen. Miss Susan. Would you read 1 John 4.19? All right, go ahead, Carson, read 2 Timothy. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. All right, so here's the, the, the eternal purposes of God here, right? That even through suffering for the gospel by the power of God, that it is then the power of God that saved him, that called him to a holy calling, right? Not to this, not about his own works, but but his purposes of grace, God's purposes of grace, which he gave to, gave to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Right? It doesn't, it's not, it's not a, a grace that is, uh, that has been given or extended in such a way that in, in light of how we respond to the gospel, but it is one that has been given from eternity, from ages before, as before the ages began. Look how that's that's worked out and how he's using that by the way as the encouragement to suffering. The encouragement into suffering. Go ahead and read Ephesians 1. That's 3 through 14. 3 through 14. Big passage. Everybody follow along if you can. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom, and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. All right. Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14, gives us a 
just a pattern of what we are talking about in this verse or what we're talking about in this this statement in this particular point that we see God's eternal purposes of bringing about election and bringing about salvation of sinners all by grace all to by grace so that we can be regenerated so that we can be sanctified and 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 redeemed so instantly let's always turn to this passage when we when we think about uh, election go ahead and read John 15 16 there's a lot there so we don't want to stay there too long or we'll be there all night go to John 15 yep John 15 16 you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. All right, John 15. It's Jesus speaking, telling us that you did not choose me, but I chose you. All right, as he speaks to his disciples, he speaks to us, and you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed us that we would go bear much fruit, good fruit, fruit that shows where we abide, fruit that shows where the life comes from, where the, the goodness of the fruit comes from, and that is from, from Christ. And he chose us out of grace, by his grace, to, to do that good work through us. First John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. So the, the remarkable part of this passage isn't the, the idea that we should just love, and we should love one another. The remarkable passage is because he loved us first. That's the remarkable part of the, of the passage. If we, we ever confront anyone, talk to anyone who's being harsh with a brother or harsh with a, a sister and is being unloving and unforgiving, we can pull this passage and say, well, the Bible just tells you you're supposed to love one another. No, no, no. The remarkable part of that passage is to say, brother, sister, you are not loving in a way that you should be loving because you don't understand the difficulty it was for God to love you, the extent by which it took for him to love you. And that was through his son and that he loved us first, that he loved us first. Always be amazed by that. And the way that we love one another is not out, not just motivated by our own conjuring up because we like one another, because we do, and praise God we do. But we love one another because he loved us first. And he has showed us what love is. Yeah. Right? He showed us what, what, what love is. I'm sorry. I hate, uh, left, I'm, well, I'm going to hold you to that. Um, I was just thinking Romans eight twenty eight. No, not yet. That's where we're going right now. That's where we're going. As as you say it, I'm turning there right now. Everybody, turn to Romans chapter eight. Everybody, turn to Romans chapter eight. Sorry. No. It's really funny. Great minds think alike. Amen. We know this passage, right? We we know verse twenty eight, right? We've we've heard this, right? We've we've heard this in in in, in encouragement, and and that when things are going bad, we we can look at this verse and we say, well, yeah, because I know that God loves me. All this is gonna, this is all gonna work out for for good, right? 
And, and, and many, unfortunately, have taken this verse and used it to say that, that it's going to be good and meaning you're going to make more money in the end or you're not going to be sick anymore or whatever it is. But that's not the point of the passage there. The point of the passage is, is absolutely for we, and let's just say, let's just read it together. Ready? Look at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And what is the purposes of God? Once again, what are the purposes of God? Come on. What are the eternal purposes of God? To bring about the salvation of his elect. For his glory. For his glory, by his grace, for our joy. How about that? That could be like our church tagline or something. Right? There it is. So here it is. Right? To bring about according to his purposes. That bring about according to his purpose. So sometimes good, it's not what we interpret it. It's a term of how, how it brings about God's glory according to his purposes. Verse 29. Those who, a lot of people who quote 28 want to neglect 29. But look at 29. It says, For those whom he, God, foreknew, elect, right? He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen to this. Let this be encouraging. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Talked about justification. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So here it is. Here's the eternal purposes of God. Being, being worked out for your good. And if I can add a little bit of John Piper in there, for your joy. For your happiness in a sense, right? For your joy, for your delighting in Him. It's reshifting our desires, no longer for sinful things, but for Christ-like, God-glorifying, God-honoring, Christ-exalting, magnifying things. And those are his purposes for his glory. Thank you for Kenny for reminding us of Romans 8. So here that's that's point 1, right? Point 1, eternal purposes of God. Point 2, that being perfectly consistent, that being what? Right, the eternal purposes of God, which he's graciously doing to regenerate, sanctify and say that being perfectly consistent with the free agency of man, going back to point six of our statement, it comprehends all the means in connection with the end. It comprehends all the means in connection with the end. Yes. Yes. Thank you for asking. Second is sovereign. Sovereignty of God. So point two talks about the sovereignty of God, God's sovereignty over man and God's sovereignty over the means to meet his end, right? His purposes. Let's go to, um, uh, Ben, would you look at 2 Thessalonians 2? Mary, would you read Acts 13? Abby, would you do John 10? Let me know when you find those.
Second Thessalonians two, thirteen through fourteen. Uh, the first, right? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose uh, you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the in the truth. Fourteen as well, right? Yes. To this He called you through your through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so the point of this section is the encouragement of the church, right? To stand firm, stand firm in the gospel and the truth. But look how he encourages them. He, he, he encourages them not by, by their response to the gospel, but he responds by how God chose them to be first fruits. Right? So we, we, I know we've said this time and time again over... Uh, but but the the point of, of I think God really letting us in and see how He is working and and bringing about salvation, I, I, He's telling us to encourage us, not to bring divisiveness in the church. That's what man has done to it. But this is to be encouraging, encouraging that God has chosen us, that God has chosen this church in Thessalonica, that God has chosen us. And look at verse fourteen. To this He called you through the gospel so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sovereign. God is sovereign over salvation. God is sovereign and he's working these things out. Acts 13 verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. All right. Now, did anybody catch what's peculiar peculiar about that verse? Seems a little out of place, right? You ever been to a revival and someone comes back to you and says, "We there was 200 people who got saved and all those who were appointed to be saved got saved that night." Anybody ever said that? No, it's this many people came forward or this many people prayed this prayer or whatever it may be. But look how look how the Bible presents the, the response to, to, to the gospel when the Gentiles heard the gospel. They rejoiced and they glorified in the word of God, right? This is their this is their response, and I think it goes back to our point we talked about, repentance and, and, and faith, absolutely. And what does it says? And as many as were appointed. He kind of kind of throws in, this is what God is doing. So behind all the scene, behind all the rejoicing, behind all the glorifying, it's the let us in that this is what God has been doing. That this is what God is doing in building his church. And as many as that were appointed to eternal life believed. What does it mean to be appointed? Chosen. Those who were chosen to eternal life believed. I'm sure there's a translation out there that uses that word. Maybe like the RSV or something. Appointed, chosen to, to eternal That's amazing. Isn't that amazing to think about? Yeah. Truly amazing. Now, everybody, turn with me to John chapter 6.
Look at verse 35. Everybody with me? Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All, listen to this, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I, sh- that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everybody who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Everyone that the Lord gives, sovereign God, everyone that the Lord gives to the Son will come to him. And I love that, because look at verse 40. Because everyone that the Lord gives to Jesus, what are they going to do? They are going to look upon the Son, and they're going to believe. They're going to have faith in Him, in hope, in the eternal life. And that one day, we will be raised up with Him on the last day. That's powerful. That's, that's very specific language that we are getting from Jesus here. Very specific. That all that the Father gives me will come to me. And there's no rejection, right? Listen, and, and, and all who come to me, I'll never, I'll never cast out. I love that. The Lord is accomplishing His work. His work of salvation. One of the One of the, the big problems that people say or accuse the uh, of Calvinists in believing is that it doesn't let people make their own choice on what they about if they you know if they want to go to heaven or not. Pretty ludicrous argument. But I remember um, at some point I remember Bill and I were talking. And he said something. He said, nobody who is in heaven is there against his will. You think anybody in heaven is kicking and screaming to not be? No. No. Not at all. We should look at this as such encouraging. The sovereignty of God and salvation that he is sovereign over every decision, every prayer, however it is, repentance and faith, however it has looked like over the ages, however it's looked like in in this room, he is sovereign over that. I happen to be one of those people that prayed, prayed the prayer on my own, and I believe that's when God saved me. Well, we brought about regeneration, saved me from me, from before the foundation of the world. Why? Because he wanted to. 
about that? Because he wanted to. And I'm just the recipient of that grace. God is sovereign over salvation, and we can, we can rejoice in that. We can trust him with that. We can trust him with that, that he is sovereign over this. Can we trust God, or can we trust man? Who do we want sovereign over salvation? I want God. I want, I want God, and, and, and I'm, I'm loving what we're doing because we're going to be building it up even more. We're gonna, I think it's going to help in our encouragement more. So I want to not speak too more. Let's keep going. Let's look at the next one. Point three is going to talk about his supremacy, his glory, and his goodness. His supremacy, his glory, and his goodness. Look at point three. That it is a most glorious display of, of God's sovereign goodness, being infinitely free, wise, holy, and unchangeable. Election displays, this is me speaking now, election displays the glory of God. It displays the character and nature of God. All of those attributes that we talked about you know, months ago, all of those are in beautiful display in election wonderfully displayed. Look how much we are missing when we are not delighting in this doctrine. We're taking the character of God and we're saying we don't want that because that is controversial. But look what it's saying. It's showing God. It's such a glorious display of His sovereign goodness. His sovereign goodness. I like that also. He is infinitely free. That God is infinitely free. Let's talk about the free will of God. Maybe a good book title. I bet there's one already out there, The Free Will of God. And it's wise. It's holy. It's unchangeable. You know, sometimes I can question maybe that wise a little bit. Because, like, why Why me? <laughs> I don't see wisdom in it, but you do. Or how about all of us, right? <laughs> but God is wise. Wise and holy. And praise the Lord, it's unchangeable. Remember in that, in, what's, what's the unchangeable doctrine we talked about in the character of God? What's that, what's that word that we use? Unmutable. I love it. Didn't even give anyone else a chance, can he? <laughs> You know the eager people in class. You probably got, you got the the one or two. You know that are constantly saying things. Right? I should say, raise your hands, unchangeable, immutable. Right? That's right. For that, you can go to Exodus thirty-three, Mister Anderson. Exodus thirty-three. Carson, look at Ephesians one eleven. Bill, would you read Romans 9, 23 through 24? Savannah, Romans 11, 28, 29, and eventually 32 through 36. Exodus, no, not the whole thing. 18 and 19, Kenny, it's, it's right there. I'm oh, sorry, you don't have the paper, I'm sorry. 18 and 19. 
Go ahead, brother. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Amen. Pretty plain words. Right there. The supremacy of God. The, su- the supremacy of God. The sovereign goodness of God. The glory of God and salvation. Ephesians 1. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Who works all things according to the counsel of the church council. (laughs) Who works all things out according to the counsel of the Congress of the United States. Who works all things out according to the counsel of Emperor Nero. No. He works all things out according to the counsel of his will. His will. We can't say that. At least we shouldn't. It's not true. We try to, right? Isn't that what Adam and Eve tried to do? Tried to work all things out according to the counsel of their own will, what they wanted? Right? There's the nature of there's the sinfulness of man right here. Right? We're try to be we try to be God. And it works all things out. And and, and and by the way, don't don't you think that this is a and just bear with me on this. This is a subtlety of the evil one to make man think that even salvation itself can be worked out according to his own will. The counsel of his own will. The counsel according to his own timing. That's, that's, that's so subtle. It's so subtle. But look where it, what it does. It goes, it goes right back to what we just ex- talked about in, in Genesis 1. We can trust in his supremacy, his goodness. All right, Romans 9. Don't, don't, don't. Can I start at verse 10? That, I want to go back further, but I'll settle for verse 10. <laughs> verse 10 of Romans 9? Yeah. Even though you're supposed to read 23 and 24? <laughs> he just added a couple on. Just, just a couple. No. Sorry. I know. You're right. Carson just got me there. Context is king. Context is king. <laughs> Bro! I thought it was context is key. King. Some people say key. We say king. I thought uh, you king. And, and not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that, de- so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. 
so then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. What's, what is being said in Romans 9? The sovereignty of God. Yeah. The title of my Bible says, God's so, uh, sovereign choice. You must be reading ESV. <laughs> I wonder why. Calvin senators. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and look at that. Look at talk about the potter and the clay. What if God, verse twenty two, what if God desiring to show his wrath and to make his power? make known his power has endured with much patient vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand it's consistent because a lot of these verses were are, are, they are in the Old Testament yeah yeah Jeremiah 18 Exodus 33 yeah. as you read uh, and others, you see here that the sovereignty of God, the supremacy of God, the glory of of God. Now, now let's we'll go to the next point. I'm we're going to skip eleven since Bill read so much, so you've been spared there because I want to finish this point tonight. All right, <clears throat> you can thank him later. Look at look at the fourth point that it utterly utterly right. That it utterly excludes boasting and promotes humility, love, prayer, praise, trust in God, and active imitation of his free mercy. Brothers and sisters, if you are the most knowledgeable Calvinist, but you have not loved, then you are a resounding gong. We, we do not stand above others as if we are greater because we have some revealed knowledge that they do not but we stand in humility humility before such omnipotent sovereign grace it's humbling humbling every time we say our church name you should be humbled almost brought to our our knees that such sovereign grace would choose to use us not as vessels of wrath, but be give mercy to. It promotes humility. It promotes humility amongst us. It excludes all, all boasting. It promotes love. The purposes of God promotes love. It promotes 
prayer. It promotes praise and, and, and trust in God. Active imitation of his free mercy. The one word that I put here is gratitude. Gratitude and grace. Gratitude and grace. This is what this is what it does. This is what it motivates in us. Right? That's that's another that's what people look at Calvinists and they think we're better than everybody else because oh look, I'm chosen and you're not, kind of thing. And and what a false reality. I've I I've done I have not done ample reading of 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 even John Calvin himself or even Augustine. I've done lots of reading of them, but not exhaustive. But everywhere I see in those readings, they are humble men. Amazed by grace. But also men people try to discount John Calvin and some of the others. They go back to some of his earlier points in life and try to bring up things where he had, you know, changed as he got older a little bit. Yeah, he had flaws. Yeah, like we did, like we do. And they try to point those things out and discredit it. So, First Corinthians four seven. Ben, go ahead and go there. Colossians three twelve. Richard, would you read that? Colossians three twelve. Nope. <laughs> well, I, I I totally it was like I don't know, and I just gave you Romans nine, and I wasn't even thinking. It just, it's like, yeah. Yes, read. All right. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Okay, so do you see what he's saying here? For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Receive means it's been given to you. Right? It's been it's been given to you. And if it's something that you have been given, how could you boast in it as if it's yours? As it's something that you, you've achieved. Right? Oh man, I just had a really bad example come into my head. I'm sorry. It would have been a good one, but it totally would have threw us off. I'll tell you all afterwards. You have to remind me. Uh, I used the, the example of this on, on not a totally different example. On Sunday night with our, with our students, it's like the, the basketball player, like Shaquille O'Neal, is like seven foot tall slams a basketball and then jumps up and down like, look how amazing that is! Well, he's seven foot tall. If you can't slam a basketball at seven foot tall, there's a problem. Right? I mean, that's a problem. As if it's something that he did. Right? It's No, man, you were given that. You were given that. You didn't do anything to make up that genetic code. I'm not picking on just kill Neil, but this is just the one that came to my head. But you understand that? And that's kind of what he's saying. How could we, we can't boast in anything as if we, because it's something we receive, but something we received by, by grace. Those who, who hold to the doctrines of grace, Calvinism and such, election, biblical election here, we should be of the most humble. 
Because everywhere we turn, it's like, nope, that's by grace. By grace. By grace. By grace. Not me, but Christ. Colossians 3, brother. 3.12, put, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. <laughs> we could we go ahead and read verse 13 too? Bearing with one another as if, as if one had a complaint against or forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Sounds like Ephesians, doesn't it? Right? That's, what, that's the work of what grace does in, in someone. So, so grace drives us here. God's sovereign grace and election and saving us and, and, and before the foundation was is what's driving us and driving that obedience and driving that holiness that we see here. The compassionate hearts, the kindness, the humility, the meekness, the patience as God's chosen one. Chosen one. Awesome. Very good. Next one. Question on that? Good. Here we have. Point five. That it encourages the use of means in the highest degree. So what are the means? Anybody can tell me what are the means there? What have we what have we established are the means earlier? What are the means that he's speaking of here in point five that he's encouraging us to use? I kind of just said it. Starts with G. Ends with ace. Good job. Very good. Yes, get you a crossword puzzle. Grace. Right? So here, the, the means is grace. The means of, of our obedience, because now we're talking about our obedience. Our obedience is driven by grace. It is powered by, by grace. 2 Timothy 2.10. I'll look that up. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Grace-driven. Grace-driven. Grace-driven obedience. I also wrote down uh, 1 Corinthians 15.10. It's one that came to mind for me. You can look that up with me if you'd like. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 10. First Corinthians 15, 10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary. What what does grace do here? On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. So what did grace do? Grace was not given in vain. Grace wasn't given uh, to to Paul in a sense so Paul could just sit and do nothing. He says, on the contrary, what did it do? than anyone else. Grace drove his work. 
He was captivated by grace. And that captivation drove that work, drove that obedience, drove that that church planting and writing and loving and sharing the gospel and preaching, being suffered, thrown in prison. All of that was driven by grace. He worked harder than anyone. I worked harder than anyone else. Though it was not I. What was it? But the grace of God that is within me. So it is the grace of God that saved him. It's the grace of God that is sustaining him. And it's the grace of God that is moving him. That's a sermon right there. I just came up with a sermon. That's three points. All I need is a poem. Great. Let's look at the next one. Point six. What's your one word? For uh, number five? five. Obedience. Obedience or grace-driven obedience. Point six. That it may be... We'll go through these next two quickly. That it may be... Or three. That this may be ascertained by its effect in all who... Right? That it's that the full effect, ascertain, what does that mean to, to ascertain? To gain or to get? To what? To receive, to learn, to apply, right? To take, to take in, right? So that it may be, what is it? What's it? Sovereign grace and election, right? God's eternal purposes. That's it. That may be ascertained by its effects in all who truly believe the gospel. Meaning this, that everyone who is of the elect, their life will reflect that. Their life will reflect that obedience. It will reflect that holiness because of regeneration, because of transformation. There's evidence of a good fruit, a good tree, that it is a part of the good vine. That is a part of the good, the good vine. And so, so the one who is, who is there is, is, is growing in, in holiness. It's something that is seen. It's something that is felt. It's something that is observed. And I love that those who truly believe the gospel those who truly believe the gospel. You can see the verses there, 1 Thessalonians 1. And I, I put also Ephesians 4, if you want to add that, 4, 17 through 32. It's a big passage. Look at the next point, point 7. That, Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. Next point, point 7, gives us assurance. Election is the foundation of Christian assurance. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Assurance. Holiness. Our assurance is found in that. Our assurance is found in the personal work of Christ. And our assurance is found in the, the sovereign grace and election for those who are of the elect, the I church. I heard John MacArthur say one time in a sermon that um, because through God's sovereignty, his elect, that 
don't you know that that's what made it easy for him to go home and sleep at night that if it required if it was of him that saved how could you go to sleep when you know there's souls out there dying you know because you're not still yeah you know god is sovereign yeah he's sovereign it's it's him that's right word that he does the work he makes it happen this is the this is the foundation of our assurance right we can turn back to what we started with romans 8 28 through 30 again this is the foundation of our assurance this is the foundation of your assurance Because it's not found in us. It's not found in in any of your works. It's all been accomplished in his work. A work that he has been working to fulfill since eternity. Eternity's past, right? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that astounding to think that you were a part of that eternal purpose? Doesn't that make us, doesn't it bring you into something much bigger? That you're part of this grand story that God has been sovereignly working out since the beginning of time. That you're a part of that? Amazing. You want to live for something great? (laughs) What could be greater than than the eternal purposes of God? What could be grander than that? Let's look at the next point. Last one. And that to ascertain, see that word again, to know, to work out, ascertain it, get it again, election, with our regard, with regard to ourselves, demands, and it deserves the utmost diligence. And what I put here is I put it that way that we will, we will work it out. We will continue to pursue this and continue to delight in this. We would continue to 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 love it, find encouragement in it. I'm gonna turn to Second um, Peter. Bill, would you look up Hebrews six? Second Peter chapter one. 10 and 11 says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall, which the qualities are the ones in the beginning there, at the beginning of the passage. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom and for our Lord, of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. We always want to work. We always want to to, to work these out to confirm our calling and our election. Practicing those qualities. Never stopping. Never stopping the practice of those qualities. Hebrews 6. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Can you read verse 12 too? So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. All right, so one of the, one of the, this last thing. So one of the also disagreements with this doctrine is that it makes people, um, 
uh, sluggish. It makes us not want to, we don't evangelize. You don't do missions. And by all, and once again, we see that it doesn't. All, all, what it does even more in our humility is it motivates it and drives it all the more. Right? Remember, remember what we read in, from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 10? What did it do? What did grace drive him to do even more? To be sluggish and sit at home? Well, God saved them anyway, so he's going to, those he appointed are going to happen, are just going to get saved regardless if I'm there or not. So I might as well just stay here in my pew. Charles Burton had a good sermon on that. He said someone approached him with that same argument, you know, about not evangelizing. He said, well, if God had painted a yellow stripe down their back of everyone whom he had chosen, he said, I would just go to them and preach to them, but he didn't. Yeah. He said, I'm the preacher of the world. That's right. We are called into preaching the gospel, and so therefore it is the, the motive of our, of our obedience to go and to continue to, to learn it and mature in it ourselves and to be um, to be diligent uh, in, in this doctrine and in this, in this truth. I hope you're encouraged by this. I, I hope that you are, you are being built up in this. In, in, in humility, in a sense. I mean, being built up in, in humility. And then I also hope that it is, it is what now drives us drives us as a congregation, as a church, to take the gospel to our city, to take the gospel to the nations. At that point, 